Hello and welcome to the Future of Work Hub's In Conversation With podcast. I'm Lucy Lewis, a partner in Lewis Silkin's employment team. And in this podcast series, I'll be hosting exclusive discussions with innovators, business leaders and thought leaders to explore their perspective on what the future of work holds. The pandemic has accelerated longer term societal, economic and technological trends, giving us a unique opportunity, a once in a generation challenge to rethink who, how, what and where we work. But while the pandemic has been a significant catalyst for immediate change, it's only one of the many drivers of change in the world of work. And here to discuss her thoughts on the world of future of work, remote working, how we should be planning our work following the pandemic is Claire Hader. Uh, Claire is a technology entrepreneur, but she's also a brilliant future thinker. Um, She's got lots of thoughts about all things human work and play. Um, Claire is a founder and CEO of Winder and of Pattern. So welcome, Claire. Lucy, it's so good to be here with you on the podcast today. Thank you for inviting me. Well, thank you for coming. And I was wondering if you could start by introducing yourself. Tell us a bit about your background and how you've got to the CEO of these two fantastic businesses that you have now. So Lucy, I actually had a bit of an epiphany on a very jam-packed highway one morning as an 18-year-old way back in South Africa. So I just graduated high school and I had um, basically started my college degree, which was in industrial psychology. And I was basically en route to, because I got myself part-time jobs while I was at college and I was en route to this job one morning. And the highway between the two cities, so the city that I was working in and the city that I lived in, to give you an idea how congested it was, people had to wake up at like 4 a.m. to be on the highway by 5 to reach the office at 8. Okay, that's the level of traffic. And this is just like normal everyday life for people. And I'm sitting, like we're not moving, just standstill traffic. And I look to my left and there's a woman eating a bowl of cereal. Look to my right, there's a woman applying makeup, and I look in my rearview mirror, and there's a man shaving. And this is at 5 a.m. in the morning. And I just, as an 18-year-old, my heart just sank because I was like, you know, is this my future? Is this what it means to be an adult? And I made a promise to myself in that car as the sunrise was coming up that I was going to build companies that really addressed this issue, that took away the absolute necessity to do these crazy commutes to work and that enabled people to work from anywhere. Um, Like the thought that was like so dominant in my brain as an 18-year-old that morning was, it's not right for people to have to do this every day. This is not living. You know, people should be able to be able to sit on a beach. They should be able to be anywhere that they want and be able to work. And naturally, that's, you know, it's a pretty big issue. It's not an issue that I've solved on my own, but I committed to dedicating my career and my life to working in that, in that area to make work better for people. So that's how we got to where we are today. That's fantastic. And we'll come on to talk about some of those learnings because I know you've got a lot to say about that. But before we do that, I wanted to ask you about um, a TED talk that you've given about the future of work. And you talk about the future of work being chaos. And, And 
it really resonated with me because chaos is such an interesting word. It makes me sort of think of lack of control and disruption. And of course, that's what we've all been living for the last 18 months. But your challenge to us is that we should embrace the chaos. And I wanted to give you an opportunity to talk a little bit about that and explain what you mean by it. So interestingly enough, you know, I did this this TEDx talk way before the pandemic even hit us. I did it back in 2016. And I I really stood back, you know, when I was invited to do it. And I asked myself the question, what is the reality of work moving forward? And what is it that people at that point in time, back in 2016, were really pushing back against? And one of my primary observations that I've seen that spans geography, cultures, languages, all different types of industries, um, ages, generations, is the reality that we're all working in all of these disparate systems. You know, So as cloud has become a dominant way in which we function, both at a consumer level and at a work level, our work applications that we actually complete our work in are sitting in the cloud. I mean, this is an example. You and I are currently working in the cloud right now as we're recording this podcast. And the number of those applications that we're working in is increasing daily. You know, pre-pandemic, people were engaging with approximately anywhere between 18 to 30 applications on a daily basis, like having to jump and switch between those. Post-pandemic, that number has increased to in and around 40 to 50 applications. And so you've gone from an environment that was very insular in terms of the number of applications that people had to engage with. So the context that they found themselves in were minimal, you know what I mean? And so context switching wasn't such a big issue. And I then kind of like peeled the onion back on that one in my thinking. And I was like, that context switching is, is highly disruptive at a neurological level in the brain, you know? And that was kind of where I came up with the title for that talk, The Future of Work is Chaos. People perceive it and feel it physically in their beings as being very chaotic. And it's increasing because of the number of applications we're having to engage with to complete our work. And that's when I was like, but hang on a minute, chaos is actually a scientific concept. Let's let's actually go and dig into this. And so what I did in preparation for that TEDx talk was I went and I actually sat with scientists and I said to them, explain chaos theory to me. I really want to understand it. And I just, my mind was blown as I emerged out of these conversations because chaos, if you look at it from the scientific concept that it is, is actually not chaotic in the, in terms of how we as humans have kind of defined chaos. As you say, we hear the word chaos, we feel chaos, and we want to organize it and box it. But if you actually look at the scientific concept of chaos, it's not disorganized at all. It actually doesn't need organization. It's a highly, highly structured network with millions of nodes, and all those nodes are interconnected. And that was my big epiphany. I was like, this is why it feels like chaos, but it actually isn't. It's just that globalization and the fact that we're so interconnected as a world and as a global human race nowadays, and everything impacts everything else. That is why work feels chaotic, but it in fact isn't. And so my challenge to humanity at large is we need to make serious mind shifts about what 
we felt was normal and good and healthy before and what this new reality really is that we're dealing with. Thanks, Claire. And one of the things that I know you've talked about is, is that we can harness chaos, we can use that chaos to unleash our human potential. So we, we're increasingly moving towards automated workplace, machine based workplace, you've talked a lot about applications, we can all um, empathise with that, I know. And I wondered if you had thoughts about the kind of skills that we're all going to need to, to thrive in that future workplace and, and how, how companies go about building resilience and building an ability to adapt to that changing kind of workplace? So I think the very first thing before I speak to the specific skills, I think something that's very important to note is that we need to accept that automation and AI is now an actual living reality in our working world. And people may not be aware of it, and yes, it may not be the most sophisticated forms of those things, but they're there and they're real. If anybody is using a project management system, if anybody is using a communication tool like Zoom or Slack or any one of those, those systems already have AI and automation built into them. And so I think that's one of the first key things that we need to accept with that reality as a basis of our thoughts moving forward. One of the key things from a managerial perspective, so I'll talk first to the managerial skills and then I, you know, we'll delve into the employee specific skills, is we need to understand that our responsibility as leaders and managers in workplaces is significantly changing. We actually need to start creating workplaces that include bots that include automated creatures, if I can call them that, that work alongside our human people. Talent is no longer just human talent. Talent is now bots plus humans. And that in and of itself, accepting that and actually starting to design around that will fundamentally change how we view who does what. And the immediate shift that will happen if we do actually go and work around that premise is, is that there's a certain set of things that bots are really, really good at, which is all the automated work. And we will make it our mission as leaders and managers to get rid of all of those things that humans are currently doing, but they shouldn't be doing. And then leaders will very quickly, and, and some leaders who are already working in this area are aware of this, and they're actually seeing it happen in their workplaces, is that people are pretty defensive about what they're doing. They're very protective about their work. And they take pride in it. And so smart leaders are very aware of the fact that they're essentially pushing their workplaces into a place of identity crisis. Each employee is individually going through an identity crisis because what they've potentially been doing for 30, 40, 50 years in their career is no longer what they can or should be doing moving forward. And so the next skill there is really being able to lead people through that change. So understanding change management and understanding how to lead teams through that into a new identity and a new way of being is one of the most critical leadership skills. And then if you look at the employee um, skill sets, there's a number of them that can be mentioned. But the most important one at this juncture that I would rank as the most important is curiosity. And the reason for that is it, it takes a curious mindset to be able to let go 
of that which makes you feel safe and let go of that which you're protective of and actually look at it objectively and say, what parts of this job shouldn't I be doing anymore? What parts of this can I automate? What parts of this can I hand over to a bot companion in the future? And how do I as an individual employee, actually work myself out of my own job and into a new different type of job with different skills. And I think if, if we can really hone that in our employees and in our team members, the next phase will reveal a different set of skills. But right now, for where humanity is, I think that's the most important one. Thanks, Claire. That's really, really interesting. And I know will be really helpful to our listeners. And actually, it's quite helpful to me because it takes me back to what something I said I'd come back to, which is allowing you to talk a little bit about the businesses um, that you've built and your thoughts about what those should look like. And I said at the beginning that, that one of the things we've really focused on in this podcast series is the who, how, what and where of work. You've talked a little bit about the who, which is great, and the emergence of bots and working alongside bot companions. But one of the other things that I know you've got really interesting thoughts about is what we should be doing and how much of it we should be doing. So at the moment, lots of our listeners are thinking about the return to work, thinking about the new normal, a lot of them really trying to work out how we embrace hybrid working. But I know one of your thoughts has been, well, maybe we should just abandon the hybrid workplace and we should look towards reduced working. We should look towards working a four-hour day, for example. And I wanted to give you an opportunity to talk a little bit about that. Yeah. So, Lucy, I, I, I do need to say that what I'm about to proceed to say is very provocative. And it definitely is a very challenging set of things that I'm going to share, you know, with the audience right now. And it's things that I myself as a business leader am really grappling with right now. These are not easy things. So if we look at, if we go back to absolute fundamental basic principles, if you look at the reality of what the pandemic has done, is it's essentially taken a very time-boxed approach to living. So I leave my house, I go to work, and I then come back. So you've basically got two boxes in which people live, work box, life box, you know, home box. And it's just thrown those two directly into each other. And so it's completely intermeshed them. And so what's happening is, is that where people before were pretty time-boxed in more or less anywhere between an eight to a 15 hour window, depending on geographies. So, you know, some continents have much longer working hours than others, and hence my eight to 15 hours. What's happened now is that's no longer time box. That's now literally spread across a full 24 hour day. So somebody that was working eight hours is generally on, switched on, and physically available to work and to their team for approximately double that amount of time. And for people who were already working in excess, that's like really pushed it to the absolute limit. And so we need to go back to basics and say, okay, this is honestly at its most fundamental level, this is a time issue that we're dealing with. And if you actually go and do the calculation, and I'm very happy to, you know, share this actual calculation that I've done around what it actually takes to live a life. The scary reality is, is that the approximate human is working in a deficit of days. We're every month that we're living, 
we're building up a deficit of approximately eight days, which is 100 days short to live. Now, that sounds totally crazy because you've only got so much time. Time doesn't expand. You know what I mean? So how is it possible to build up a deficit? It builds up because what people tend to do is instead of sleeping the eight hours that they should, they sleep four. Instead of exercising, they don't exercise. And so to manage that deficit of days, we sacrifice core parts of what are actually essential parts to living well. And because of that reality and what people are dealing with, all of a sudden the context of the mental health crisis that we're dealing with at a global level right now makes absolute sense because any person that's living in a deficit of days is going to be mentally unhealthy. And therefore, we need to seriously question about even considering going back to way, the way things were because they never will. So people have now for two years lived in this intermeshed reality. And if you go and you speak to the companies, and we're one of those companies who have built virtual companies from the ground up, we've actually all tried to do the blended approach. We've tried to do the hybrid workplace and it doesn't work. It genuinely doesn't work. And the companies who have experimented with this have been very, very large corporations and then very small startups like ourselves. So this data set actually spans, you know, the large and the small. And they've all come back as failed experiments, essentially. And if you unpack that and you look at why it doesn't work, it's because Building a virtual company and bu building an in-person company require completely, completely different cultures, which culture at its essence is, is a set of collective behaviors around how people make decisions and get work done. To work virtually and to build that virtual culture is completely different than what it does and how it happens in an in-person place. And so what I genuinely believe is going to happen based on the evidence that we have from the companies that have experimented with this is that people are going to try back to what they're terming the new normal, which is this hybrid model. And they're very quickly going to see that it, it isn't going to work. And so we're going to have this whiplash effect where people are going to have to go back to the drawing board instead of doing the hard work now of redefining their culture and actually staking something in the ground, they're kind of going to play this like, let's kick the, the can down the road. And in two years' time, they're going to be forced to do it because they're going to push their, their workforces to the brink. So I'll pause there for a moment and, and you know, I'd love to hear your thoughts on it, but that's, it's a harsh reality that we're dealing with. Yeah, and I, and I, I think you're absolutely right. And we talked um, on this podcast series about conscious experimentation and people actually needing to go through that journey of change and, um, you know, un understand or reprioritize the things that actually matter to people. And um, you and I have talked about the great resignation, the war for talent, and, you know, increasingly these things are important to, to attracting the best people. And we know that businesses succeed are the ones that, that can attract the best talent, people that want to stay, want to learn, um, want, as you say, to be curious. So, it will be fascinating to see how things pan out in this in this kind of conscious experimentation of a new normal. Mm. I I love that phrase that you've just coined, you know, and that you've brought up in your other podcast, conscious experimentation. And yes, I, I genuinely believe, you know, it's it, 
if I had a magic wand, I definitely wouldn't try and prevent the world from going through what they're going through right now. It is something that you need to feel. It is something that you as a team need to collectively experience. You know, if I look at the experiments that we've run and because we've built a virtual company from the ground up, pre-pandemic when it actually wasn't popular to do this. You know, I've literally had VCs tell me that the company is going to fail because we're building it virtually. I've had business mentors tell me the same thing. Even my own husband, who's a fellow entrepreneur, has told me that it's not possible to build a company virtually. He's changed his mind subsequently. But I mean, that was the common perception out there. And so we did it with that conscious mindset from the outset. And and we were ruthless in, in being honest about where we were failing and where we weren't. And I'm hoping that the world will be conscious as they navigate through these next two years because we have to be highly conscious right now. And actually, that takes me back to something I wanted to come back to because you talked about the, the difference in culture. You need a different culture if you're if you're managing or building a, re- a remote workforce. And I wondered if you were happy to share just a couple of observations about how you've gone about building that culture to have these successful businesses that you have. Absolutely. Very, very happy to share that. There's so much that I can share here, but because you've asked for specific observations, one that I think is really important to to bring up because it really is universally applicable is just how different communication is inside a virtual company versus an in-person company. The communication overhead that happens inside a virtual company increases by approximately 20% per person. Now, let's go and just put that into actual like hours so that we can understand how significant that is. If somebody is working an eight-hour day, okay, that that is more than an hour additional time in a virtual environment that you need just to communicate what you wouldn't need to do in an in-person environment. And the reason why that communication overhead increases so significantly is because of the absolute lack of your ability. You're not sharing physical space, so you can't absorb critical information at a subconscious physical level. And hence, Everything needs to be communicated very explicitly in a virtual environment. And so what we as a company have done to combat that is we've been exceptionally intentional about how we go about actually designing our communication spaces. We've got very specific guidelines that we follow in terms of how we've designed our Slack space, for example, like how we've set up channels, like what we, um, the rules are that we've collectively agreed on in terms of how we engage in certain channels. You know, we're very conscious about cleaning up our communication spaces. Um, For example, we have, um, as an entire company, we sprint, um, we follow the agile methodology and we sprint across the entire company. But what we do is we actually share a daily stand-up every single day in our Slack spaces. And we've got specific channels just for the daily stand-up because it comes back to that you know, principle of there's a communication overhead where you have to be explicit about things. And so that's how we've been able to combat that. And you know, moving on to the next one, so I've just shared a very practical example there around communication. But where I can speak more broadly across work as a whole is 
it comes back to the actual design of the physical spaces. So if you think about a physical in-person office that you're sitting in, it's designed with a lot of intention. You know, the interior architects and the interior designers literally pour over different, you know, models around where will the kitchen go? Where will the water coolers be? Where will the restrooms be? And those are decisions that need strategic thinking because they're actually thinking about human flow, you know, and human connection as it happens spontaneously between how tables are set up, etc. And we don't approach our online spaces with the same level of intentionality that we do when we it comes to creating physical spaces. So there's this whole concept of online architecture, you know, online interior design that is completely new. Like people, that isn't, those aren't even coined phrases um, that, and yet they're essential because we're spending a significant amount of our time in these spaces. And right now people are just allowing themselves to essentially just go with the flow of how these tools have been designed by the UX designers that have designed them. But the concept of them being actual physical workspaces is something that was never taken into consideration by those UX designers. It was always just a tool, you know, that was used in a workplace. And so fundamentally, there's a lot of work that needs to be redone there. And so that's where it, that's ultimately the areas where the hybrid fails and why companies need to make such a, a strong decision about it. And, you know, those are some of the principles. So if I was to summarize that, what Tracy, my co-founder, and I have done is, is that because we've established a virtual company, we have done that in a very intentional way. So every single system that we sign up to, every single space in which the team come together hasn't just been flipped on and users have been assigned. You know, we've we've actually gone in prior to the team coming in and we've thought very intentionally about how it will be used, what are the rules of engagement when it's being used, how will we clean it up, what will that routine and that schedule look like, etc. I hope that's helpful. Really, really helpful. Thank you. And thank you for sharing your your thoughts as a futurist, but also your experience as a business leader, because it's great to hear it from a practical perspective. I've got one last question, and it's something I'm asking all our guests on this podcast series. And you've already done a little bit of this because it involves some crystal ball gazing. But we both know that the, the world of work is going to look very different in 10 years time, probably in ways we can't even predict now. But, but if you had the power to ensure that there'll be one change so that if we looked at the workplace of 2032, one thing would be different, what would that be? So Lucy, I absolutely love this question. And I honestly don't know if this will be reality in 2032. It may be a little bit further out from that, but I'm going to share it in any case. And that is that if you look at where, um, you know, hologram technology currently is, if you look at where um, virtual reality technology currently is, it's got a long way to go, but we're very clearly starting to see the emergence of people essentially being able to place themselves in different environments through the use of this technology. And that really is my wish, is that we will be able to essentially, like if I was to wave the wand, like you say, like 
snap ourselves into a bubble of our own making to be able to work effectively wherever we are so that we can engage fully with work in that moment, but then at the same time very quickly bounce out of that bubble that we've put ourselves into and, you know, move into the world around us, whether that be a coffee shop, you know, that we go to or our child's school that we want to engage with, you know, just down the road. But it's essentially being able to really just snap into like an office bubble that has been created and designed for us instantaneously. And then at the drop of a hat when we need to to just essentially like let the bubble deflate and move away (laughs) it sounds fantastic I'm definitely wanting to be in that world thank you so much for joining us Claire it's been a really really fascinating discussion and for our audience if they'd like to hear more about some of the ideas that Claire has been sharing or more about the businesses that she runs you can follow Claire on LinkedIn or via www.winder.com, that's W-N-D-Y-R, or www.pattern.com, that's P-A-T-T-Y-R-N. Thank you again, Claire. Thank you so much, Lucy. It was great being here with you today.